Welcome back to Correct Me If I'm Wrong. It's great to have you here. So, lately I've been I've been thinking and I want to know where my listeners are at. I've been looking at the the analytics for for the show a little bit more because I'm a man of science and data and I've been seeing some downloads pop up in places all over the US and somehow Europe where I'm pretty sure I don't know anyone. I definitely don't know anyone in Europe, so I don't know what that's about. But hit me up, people. I want to know who's out there listening. I want to connect. You know, find me on Instagram, Greg Tyler Comedy. I'm desperate for the interaction, people. COVID and lockdown and quarantine and all of that jazz has made me starved for social interaction. So come and find me. Um, I probably should have like some other forms of social media to connect with people, but I deleted Facebook after watching the documentary, The Social Dilemma. If you haven't seen that yet, go check it out. It's absolutely terrifying and it's going to make you rethink all of your social media presence, but, uh, you know, not to be a downer or anything, but go check it out. And with Facebook, I could like never seem to avoid the toxicity. Like, I don't know, my mom's on Facebook all the time and she swears that all she ever sees is like cute animal stuff. She's like really into rescue donkeys. So she sees like donkeys and horses and dogs and all I ever see is like crazy political arguments that make no sense, but I can't help but to read them which is a horrible hobby to have. And so thankfully I've broken that. But like I said, after that documentary, I had to pull the plug. And at this point I'm debating on whether or not I should make a TikTok. I know, I know I'm really late, but I've held out for a long time for no real reason. Like, I don't know why I have one, but it's been so long and I'm starting to get a little bit of FOMO. People will, send me TikToks and it like they have to just like text me the link. They can't share it with me on TikTok. So I, I kind of feel like a loser for that. But I do have to confess, I secretly watch TikTok through a YouTube loophole. So YouTube has these one minute videos and they call them shorts and people literally just upload their TikToks onto YouTube. So I'm all up to date with the trends without actually being on TikTok, so I'm not that far behind, but it is a little bit embarrassing that I'm just like viewing TikTok via the proxy of YouTube, but I think I just need to do it. I'm just thinking out loud here, but I, I think I'm ready to break down and, uh, and do it. And so who knows? Maybe I'll post. Maybe I'll just turn into a, a little TikTok star. Um, I doubt it. Just kidding. I'm not. I don't dance or do any of that stuff. That's what everybody does on TikTok, right? I don't know. But uh, that's enough about social media. <laughs> Let's get into this rosebud and thorn. The best thing to happen to me this week, it was nice and simple. It was relaxing, nothing overwhelming, and it's just been playoff basketball. The playoffs are one of my absolute favorite times of the year because being able to just watch high intensity and important basketball games every night 
It's just, it's therapeutic to come home. I don't have to like worry about what I'm gonna do or what I'm gonna watch. I just know I'm gonna get to see some great basketball. And I know my, my Celtics got eliminated and it sucks, but I've still had a blast watching my guy, Luka Doncic smash up on the Clippers and give them a hard time. Hopefully, fingers crossed, he can close them out tonight. But we'll see. And I know this isn't super exciting or anything, but sometimes it's nice to just have a chill, relaxing week, enjoying things that you love. You don't always have to be out looking for the action, people. I know we live in this immediate gratification society, but hey, you don't always need it. Go home, sit down, cook up a nice dinner, and watch some basketball. You won't regret it, unless you hate basketball, then you're on your own. My bud this week is a little bit different, but the bud is technically just supposed to be something that I'm looking forward to, right? Like over the next week. So here's the story. A freshly meal box was wrongfully delivered to my apartment the other day. I have no idea where the correct address is. You know, I tried to figure it out. I like a, a assumed it was just for the people right across the street, but the addresses were like a little bit off. I don't want to just leave it on somebody else's front porch and just like pass along the problem. So I just moved the box a little bit closer down to the end of my driveway in hopes that the rightful owner would be, you know, walking by and notice it and be like, oh, I haven't got my freshly. There it is just sitting there and take it. But that was two days ago and it's still there. I have no idea how long those things stay good. I'm pretty sure they pack them with like dry ice or something super cold so they can last a while. But like I said, no idea how long it lasts. But this is where the bud part comes in. Cars in my neighborhood get broken into literally every single day. My car has been broken into three or four times. My roommate's car has been broken into twice. And there's just always, I mean, always shattered car windows along the street. So I moved the freshly box all the way down to the end of the driveway, wide out in the open. And I'm looking forward to seeing how long it takes for it to get stolen. And at this point, I'm honestly shocked that no one has taken it yet, considering cars are being smashed open to steal like sunglasses and phone chargers, but there's like some gourmet food just sitting there, like just ready to be snatched up. So I'm betting on like one more night. That's one more night. I think tomorrow morning it'll be gone, uh, but we'll see. That's my prediction. Um, let me know. Let me know what you guys think. Would you steal the Freshly if you saw it? How honest of a person are you? How hungry are you? I know there's a lot of factors, but what would you do? How long is it going to be there? Let me know. So this, th this week's thorn, it has to do with work again. And I don't want people to think that I'm just bashing on my job or that I hate it. But, you know, bad things just keep happening to me there. So it... You know, it pops up being my thorn a lot. What can you say? What can you do? So this week, it reached 85 degrees in Seattle for two days in a row, which is really hot 
for Seattle. You know, we'll get a couple of those days throughout the year, but it was like the hottest, like start to whatever wherever we are. It's like the the hottest days this early in the year or some jazz. You know how they the meteorologists love those stats, but it's usually you know 70s, not too bad. But I am lucky enough to work in a historic building that is 120 years old. And fun fact, they didn't have air conditioners 120 years ago to put in. I actually don't know if that's true, but I'm assuming they didn't. Um, either way, it's 2021 and there still is an AC in that building because it's like too old and it's a protected historic building, which that makes it bad enough. But also, the windows in the classroom where I work are broken enough to the point where they can't stay open on their own. So I have to use these old computer speakers to prop the windows open. So they're only, you know, like maybe eight inches cracked. So not a lot of airflow. So I'm just sitting in a small second story room that gets direct sunlight all morning. And it's 85 degrees out. I'm in there setting up. I think I have three fans, but it just, it does not matter at all. It's so hot. The only way to cool it down is to have the door to the classroom open because there's some windows in the hall that I can also open. And then I get like a nice, like it creates a, like a wind tunnel and it just a nice breeze whips through there. So you'd think problem solved wrong. The kid that I work with hates having the door open for some reason. He is like all about his privacy at school. And so he refuses to have the door open. And that's a fight I'm not going to have. So pretty much what ends up happening is every single time he leaves the room to like go get water or go to the restroom or something, I run over there. I fling that door open just to get a few breaths of fresh air to keep me going until the next time he leaves the room. Now get this, the thermostat on the wall outside of my room said that at one point on the second day of this little heat wave, it was over 100 degrees. That's right, folks, 100 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm just sitting in there roasting. So let's just say it was a very long two days, but luckily it cooled down a little bit in the week. So the thorn, you know, it was kind of pulled out by mother nature, but I still have like three more weeks of, uh, of working there. Not because I'm like quitting or getting fired or anything, but you know, summer. Um, so I'm anticipating some more heat and just raising my heat tolerance. I guess it's not great, but what can you do? Gotta protect those old buildings. Anyways, next up. It's time to get educated, y'all. I really, I dove in deep this week, trying to find some some fun stuff, make it a little bit more obscure for our day in history. So for this week, I decided to go with, with June 1st, because why not? The first of the month, rabbit rabbit, as the people like to say. But the first event, that jumped out to me was on June 1st, 1494, we can find the first written record of Scotch whiskey. 
So the letter said that there was malt being sent to Friar John Cor by order of the king to make aquavitae. I think that's how you pronounce that. But that literally means water of life. So the king was uh, ready to get smashed. And, and Fri Friar John knew how to whip that whiskey up. So he wrote it down, basically like an invoice. And my man was out here distilling, getting the whole, I think it was, was it Ireland? Might have been Scotland. I think it was in Scotland. It's got to be. But they were brewing up that whiskey. Um, and it's funny because from everything I read before this time, alcohol was really mostly used for medicinal purposes, or like so they said. But um, it's pretty crazy that it took them that long to start recreationally abusing alcohol because alcohol has been around forever. And then it was like the late 1400s where they were like, oh, this is just fun. You don't need a prescription. So I didn't even look up who was king. I didn't dive in too deep on this, but... I'm assuming that king liked to party. In 1495, I think that was when Pope Alexander VI was the Pope. Or, oh, maybe not quite, but that's another crazy story. That's who my dog's named after, actually. Uh, Rodrigo Borgia was just wilding out as the Pope, getting into all sorts of trouble. But um, we'll save that for a later date. I'll have to find find some, uh, some Borgia family days in history to to introduce that to everybody. And then we can talk about my dog, which is always an exciting time. So this next story, this is the one that I really went in on because I came across this and it blew my mind and I ended up going down quite the research rabbit hole. So when I think about animals that have served a like utility purpose for humans. The the first thing that comes to mind for me is horses, because obviously riding a horse is super useful. They can carry a bunch of heavy stuff and get you places faster. And then I think of dogs, because you know, we've got like bomb sniffing dogs, we got drug dogs, we've got therapy dogs, hunting dogs, you know, dogs, they, they basically do everything. And actually, fun fact, I found out this week, I forget what country it was in. I should have wrote that down. Um, they retired their bomb sniffing rat <laughs> that they had, which I thought was just hilarious that they trained a rat to do this. But he got an award. So, yeah, there's a rat out there with more medals than some of y'all. Just let that sink in. Just kidding. That was mean. But like I said, horses, dogs. But there's another unsuspecting animals that have served humans surprisingly well and for a surprisingly long time. That being the pigeon. That's right. Those pesky little city pigeons have actually been super helpful. People get down with pigeons and more specifically homing pigeons. But this is where the day in history comes in. On June 1st, 1845, a homing pigeon completed an 11,000-kilometer flight from Namibia to London. I was absolutely mind-blown by this. He basically flew from... Like, I mean, Namibia is a pretty southern country in Africa, 
all the way to London. 11,000 clouds. That's insane. Like I said, so mind blown. I had to dig a little deeper into what these pigeons have been up to over the years. And I found out that pigeons have been used a ton, especially during the war, because, you know, that's when real human ingenuity comes out is when we're trying to kill each other. But they were actually a surprisingly reliable way to get information from the front line back to headquarters. Thankfully, there's an entire website dedicated to pigeons. Can y'all believe it? It's called Pigeonpedia. So fitting. Not a knockoff of anything at all. But they were kind enough to put together a list of the most famous pigeons around. So before I, I introduce everyone to these lovely birds, I wanted to clear up how exactly homing pigeons work. Because I didn't know this, so... Hey, maybe you don't. Or maybe you're smarter than me and you do. They typically don't do back and forth trips, which, which makes sense. They only return to the destination where their home or their nest is. So basically where they're trained. So if you want to use these pigeons, you have to haul them into the front line and then strap a message to their legs. Then you release them and they fly home. And yeah, pretty self-explanatory. Homing pigeons. They go home. Um, but they're often confused with carrier pigeons because that's when I was looking this up, I originally thought they were carrier pigeons. Cause that makes sense. Carrier pigeons that carry things wrong because carrier pigeons actually had the homing instinct bred out of them a long time ago. So they're really mostly just like domestic birds that they bred to look cool and they don't really do anything. They just kind of fly around and you can be like, look at me with my fancy pigeons. So now that we're all good and learned on homing pigeons, we can talk about the best of the best. These pigeons were actually so good at what they did that they received a medal from the British called the Dickon Medal. Yeah, the Dickon Medal, which is basically the Medal of Honor, um, but for animals in the UK. I don't know if America is honoring pigeons. It doesn't really seem like a thing we would do. I didn't want to look it up. So all of these are not American birds. So the first one on the list, or I guess I should say uh, the number five, because, you know, we got to save the best for last. This pigeon was named G.I. Joe. And in Italy, in 1943, obviously during uh, World War II, there were some British troops who were ordered to, to take a town in Italy. But the German forces were super dug in and didn't want to give the city up. So, believing that the British forces couldn't outlast the Germans, the U.S. command decided to flatten the town with an aerial bombardment. They were just going to blow it all up. But the British troops had already occupied the town. So there was obviously a massive miscommunication and the U.S. was about to just bomb the daylights out of the British who were on the same team. But Messenger Bird, G.I. Joe, was sent off. And this bad boy flew 20 miles to deliver this message. And he did it in only 20 minutes. This dude was hauling butt. 
if my if my math is correct, I think that's that's like that's 60 miles an hour, right? That's wild. This pigeon was out here zooming, and he got the job done. I think it actually doesn't say whether or not the message. Oh, yo, here it does. So he got there just in time, literally as the aircraft were about to leave the runway to go bomb them. And so it was called off and his flight saved the lives of the British and a lot of civilians. But uh, not bad, G.I. Joe. That's why you got the Dickin Medal. The next one, number four, was a humble and modestly named pigeon named Mary who of course also received the Dickin Medal. She served for five years during the war, flying dangerous missions because war is dangerous. So this bird actually survived being wounded a total of 22 times. I, I didn't even know, first of all, like if there is a pigeon or any bird that's hurt, I thought like the odds of successfully nursing it back to health were like slim to none, but apparently not because Mary was taking shots 22 times and then um, still ultimately died in service. But shout out to you, Mary. You deserve your Dickin medal. Number three, Kenley Lass. Oh, man, that's a British name if I've ever heard one. Kenley Lass. Um, so this bird received the medal in 1945, also during the war. And this bad boy was actually parachuted in to occupied France with an allied agent in 1940. So this is like, you know, the war is hot. It's going on. And um, it was actually the first messenger bird to successfully communicate between the French resistance and the allied headquarters in Britain. So delivering some, uh, some valuable Intel and she was parachuted in. He, I don't, she, I'm not sure. I don't want to, I don't want to misgender this bird, but she, uh, they were parachuted into France, which is also just crazy. Like who knew pigeons were able to handle this much. Right. And like, was this bird in a cage or just like, on the dude's wrist or just flying why do you have to have a bird parachute when it can just fly i don't know these are questions i have and they'll never be answered but good for you kenley lass you deserved your dickin medal number two winky also another extremely british name um and it's said that winky is the first pigeon to receive the dickin medal for life-saving efforts during World War II also. So, in 1942, a British bomber was shot down over the North Sea. So the crew was lucky enough to survive, but they were stranded in a lifeboat, and the chances of survival were, it was not looking good. They were going to die of exposure, just floating around. So they tied a message to Winky's little leg with the approximate coordinates to where they were, and he flew 125 miles to the Scottish coast and a rescue boat was sent and the entire crew was saved. Good on you, Winky. You deserve your Dickin medal. Number one. The baddest pigeon of them all. Cher Ami was a French pigeon. So 
she was around during the first world war which doesn't seem like a great time to be a war pigeon but in 1918 um there was basically a, a division of french troops that were completely surrounded and cut off by by german troops and they weren't able to you know break through the german line and get out the the command had made a bunch of attempts to reach the headquarters and let them know that like they're all about to die but they couldn't get through and every other bird they had sent was either wounded or killed and unable to fly but Sherami, i hope i'm pronouncing that right it's fun to say Sherami. um she was the the last remaining messenger bird that they had and she got wounded twice flying that information out of there once in the chest and once in the leg and the leg was almost completely shot off and unfortunately it was the leg carrying the message but the bird did it Sherami delivered the message a rescue mission was mounted and soldiers were saved they weren't captured or killed and this was actually the first time a pigeon was awarded for bravery uh in battle with a a french award so unfortunately Sherami didn't get the dickin medal but she should have we all know she should have she was putting in that work getting shot that's crazy that this bird got shot multiple times and still got out of there but anyways those are the baddest pigeons of all time maybe there's more i mean those are the baddest war pigeons but there's a whole lot of pigeon information people that i couldn't i don't even know where to start or where to end but um i did find some other interesting information regarding people people that people that kept pigeons because that's also a thing too there have been a lot of notable people that have uh, fancied pigeons because I guess everyone needs an obscure hobby that has to do with animals. So here we go. The first one on the list, Walt Disney. Surprise, surprise. Um, he actually was keeping pigeons back in the 60s. He had a, a bunch of pigeons and they were all housed in Disneyland, California. Actually, the Florida Disney World also has a pigeon loft, so both Disney uh, theme parks were loaded with pigeons, but um, the pigeon lofts had to be closed because the hawks uh, discovered there were pigeons there, and that's kind of a bad look if you know there's a bunch of kids trying to meet Mickey Mouse and a bunch of hawks are just swooping in and murdering down pigeons. So... They're no longer there, but um, Walt Disney was into it. He was sponsoring a California State Pigeon Organization, and they actually named an award after him, the Disney Award, which uh, that's, that's wild. Who knew? Walt Disney was so deep in the pigeon game, but he was also awarded the National Pigeon Association Levi Service Award for his film Pigeon Fly Home. So shout out to you, Walt Disney, and your love of pigeons, I guess. Next up, Pablo Picasso. Pablo Pigeon Picasso. Um, so story goes, he grew up around pigeons and he spent a lot of time painting them over the course of his life. His dad also um, was really into pigeons and spent a lot of time painting them. 
and teaching Pablo how to paint them. So it was in the family. Pigeon love, it was uh, passed down. But this, it stuck with him his whole life. There's even stories about him spending entire class periods sketching pigeons, and sometimes he would just bring one in with him to draw while he was in class, which would not fly for me if the student I work with brought a pigeon into school. It's got to stay in your backpack, bro. No pigeons out during school. Um, Different times, though. Now, this one. This one one gets a little weird. Um, Nikola Tesla. Big pigeon guy. He uh, apparently would go and feed the pigeons like almost every day. And it was kind of his jam to he would uh, health or not health nurse injured pigeons back to good health. And it's reported that he once spent over $2,000 to care for a bird while her, her broken wing healed. Whew, man, $2,000 on a pigeon. I hate to break it to you, Mr. Tesla, but pigeons are kind of a dime a dozen. I remember my dog got sick and I had to spend $1,800 and I was ready to lose my mind because, you know, the vet is a ripoff, but we can talk about that at a, at a later date. But two grand whew, back then too? Come on now, man. I mean, I guess if you got the got the money, you might as well spend it up, but... This is when it gets weird. So Mr. Tesla never married, but he claims that he had once fallen in love with a pigeon. Here's a little quote from uh, Mr. Tesla. I have been feeding pigeons, thousands of them for years, but there was one, a beautiful bird, pure white with light gray tips on its wings. That one was different. It was a female. I had to only wish and call her, and she would come flying to me. I loved that pigeon, as a man loves a woman, and she loved me. As long as I had her, there was a purpose in my life. Mr. Tesla, that is weird. That is real weird. I love animals, but I think it's stretch to say uh, I've ever loved an animal the way a man loves a woman because I don't know what that means to y'all but um the connotation around that uh, makes it seem like he was up to no good with this pigeon but I I don't even know where else to go with that but now you know Nikola Tesla um, pigeon guy real big pigeon guy now this next one don't worry there's only three more we won't won't go on too long about uh, pigeon lovers, but George Foreman, that's right. The boxer, the grill man, uh, he was also into caring for, for pigeons. So he mostly, I think, just loved the idea of pigeons. It's, uh, it's said that he enjoyed the freedom that they represent and about how you, when you let them go, they'll come back to you. So... He, uh, he was known to enjoy keeping pigeons, so good for you, Mr. George Foreman. Next one, number two. Another boxer, another heavyweight boxer, Mr. Mike Tyson. So this is pretty well documented that uh, the baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson, um, loved pigeons. It's actually said that uh, 
the first fight he ever got in was over a pigeon. It, uh, the story goes that someone uh, stole a pigeon that he kept as a kid and the bird ended up dying and Mike Tyson just went and beat the tar out of the individual responsible. So now we know do not mess with Mike Tyson's pigeons. But uh, apparently he's been uh, been down with pigeons since he was nine years old. So Mike Tyson, known for keeping pigeons. He's had thousands of them over the years in his giant loft in New York. I remember at one point there was even a show about him having pigeons, which I don't know. It's an interesting hobby. And it's funny that George Foreman also did it. There must be something like therapeutic to guys who are just trained to like literally try to kill each other. So maybe there's just something nice about, you know, how gentle you have to be with a bird and how it's solitary. I don't know. Just speculating, but good for you, Mike Tyson. Maybe one day one of your pigeons will win the Dickin medal. You know, always strive for greatness. But the number one, which I don't really like this person being like the number one pigeon person, but um, it's the Queen of England. So it's well known, I guess, this is what I read that it's well known, that she, she loves her horses. I didn't know that, but I did know she loves her corgis. But apparently, she's a big fan of pigeons. So she said to own around 200 pigeons. And she uh, she enjoys racing her pigeons. But it sounds like she doesn't have a whole lot of luck with it. In 2020, she sent eight of her pigeons to the biggest annual pigeon race, the South African Million Dollar Pigeon Race, which is uh, known as the Olympics of Pigeon Racing. So when uh, when you're moving birds around the world, um, you have to put them in a, in a quarantine. And I guess for in South Africa, it's specifically a 30 day quarantine to make sure there's not going to be any weird diseases or anything because birds do that. But all eight of her pigeons died <laughs> during the quarantine period. So apparently the Queen of England is sending over some dirty birds. So... There was actually an investigation that revealed only five of the 42 pigeons that the queen sent to South Africa over the last six years have survived. So she's just sacrificing pigeons, just throwing as many as she can down there, hoping some survive to win this race. But when you're the queen of England, I guess you can just do literally whatever you want. But that's what we've got for the, the top five pigeon people in the world. So... Clearly, pigeons are slept on and don't get the respect they deserve. So, y'all can keep your horsepower, but I want that pigeon power, baby. Pigeon power. But that's all I've got for today. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next week for Correct Me If I'm Wrong. Stay wavy, y'all.